Um, sorry for the pause there. I was waiting because last time I got this crazy echo and I was trying to prevent that from happening again. Um, welcome to another episode of Dr. Jill Live. You can find all of my episodes on YouTube or Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you watch. Um, and today we have another amazing guest. And I always love, I just have the most fun ways of meeting people and, and connecting. And um, Dr. Asia Mohammed, which I'll introduce, who I'll introduce in just a moment. And I met in Las Vegas this last yeah. year. And we probably met in other circles, like I'm sure we've kind of been around. Uh huh. Uh huh. And we were just talking. You are in St. Louis, Missouri, and I grew up just a few hours north of there in Peoria. So very. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so welcome. Um, today, um, we're going to talk about the gut liver access. Um, her specialty is. Um, gut health, which I love. I'm going to introduce her formally and then we'll dive right in. Um, Dr. Asia Muhammad values the power of lifestyle modifications to achieve optimal health. She uses evidence-based, science-based medicine to prove to provide individualized attention to those in her practice. As a naturopathic doctor, she uses nutrition, exercise, supplementation with nutraceuticals, botanical medicine, mind-body therapies, such as hypnosis, and a special interest in GI health, mind-body medicine, and stress management. As increasing research shows, there's such a connection to health. She received additional training in mind-body therapies, hypnosis, guided imagery, biofeedback, um, autogenic training, which I want to know more about what that is, mm -hmm. and progressive muscle relaxation. So welcome, Dr. Asia Muhammad. It's so nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here, and I'm so excited um, to chat with you today. Too, and looks like we wore the right color today. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I love it. So I remember meeting you. You had such lovely energy, gorgeous smile, and we were just like, sh uh, you know, sh uh, shaking and dancing a little bit. Uh -huh, we were. <laughs> so fun. I really remember that. So um, it's great to see you again and welcome. I always like to start with kind of your story. Like, how did you get into, yeah. did you get into this world of healing? So tell us just a little about your journey. Totally. So I grew up, I was born in Ohio and I we moved to Tennessee. So I went to undergrad in Tennessee and I was always into science and health. And at the time in Tennessee, there weren't any naturopathic doctors. And so I was part of like all the, you know, student medical clubs and they'd always have doctors come in, of course, to talk. And they were always conventional doctors. And I always knew I wanted to do more with like foods and herbs and supplements. And I didn't know what that was called. And my mom, like we never had medication in the house. So this is just kind of how I was, I guess, primed in a way as a young child. I was always just into teas and herbal medicine. And, you know, I didn't have my first ibuprofen until I was like 22. And I thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> like, what was this? I never. And I was like, <laughs> my mom was withholding all of this. This is child abuse, you know. But I'm glad that she did not kind of instill this peeled mentality into us. So we were always like problem solvers with our health. So when I was in undergrad, I kind of wanted a profession that was similar to that. And so I would shadow all these doctors. And in Tennessee, everybody's either an MD or a DO, or you have you have chiropractors. Yeah. But the chiropractors there were doing more manipulations at the time, which I wasn't really familiar with. Um, then. And so I was like, okay, this is not exactly what I want to do. So um, I found this, what we had this book in our home of this woman who's an ND or it said ND on her title. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And this is a really cool flip chart book where you just like decide, you know, I want to find some tea or some like reflex, reflexology points today for asthma or for period cramps. So it's like literally an A to Z flip chart. And I thought this was the coolest book ever. And we had it in the house since I was a little girl. And anytime I was sick, I'd look in the book. So I 
was really sick one semester in school and I was looking up things for, I think, respiratory issues. And I said, it said ND. And I'm like, what does this person do? I would love to just do this. So I Googled ND and I literally had to see Tiffany. I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. I don't care what they require. This is where I'm going. And that's pretty much how I became a naturopathic doctor. So, yeah. Well, good for you, especially in that realm, because obviously like maybe Colorado, California, they're more common, you know, a lot of different, not always, yeah. like I have a practice and I have a naturopath who comes in the office and like, you know, sees yeah. and so it's, and it's interesting. I am a medical doctor, but I actually remember looking the same thing. And I, I'm, I always say I have all the heart of a naturopath uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and really the only reason I went the conventional system was like, because of you, as you know, well, no reimbursement in the system. Yeah. And, stuff yeah. and I thought, gosh, if I do that, if I want to travel or do mission work or do you know yeah. even infiltrate and change the system <laughs> right exactly exactly right. And, you know in, ten- in Tennessee naturopathic medicine is actually illegal right so that's why there weren't any naturopathic doctors there right oh, and I didn't realize wow. that at the time there are like four states where it's illegal um which I didn't know at the time but you know Arizona is where I went to school which is like kind of the, the widest scope of yes. practice for ND so it is very wide because I've had friends who have done it and they go to different states and they can prescribe versus not but, mm-hmm. well I'm so glad you did because again it brings such a wealth of I I told you before we jumped on I always learn something new from my natural yeah. friends um <laughs> talk the gut today which is both of us love this mm-hmm. area key and it's so key like you said with the the gut and the liver so let's start with just like what is non-alcoholic fatty, fatty liver and some of these first of all nash is the old name but now um yeah oh, ha- hepatitis right mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. More about um how you would uh, uh treat someone or look at someone who has some issues with their liver and why is it connected to the gut so when i was doing my residency with two conventional GI doctors. A lot of GI doctors see also liver cases. And so we had all these patients that would come in from their primary care who just incidentally found fatty liver on an ultrasound that maybe they got for like right-sided pain. And they're like, oh, go see the GI. So they would come and see us and the GIs I was working with, and still to this day, there's not like an FDA approved drug for it. So it's just like, okay, well, you know, eat better and, you know, lose some weight. (laughs) Patients are like, all right, meanwhile like we're having like snickers and cokes from the from the reps bringing lunch to our office right so we didn't know what to tell these patients and then I started digging digging deeper into the literature around non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and kind of what you find it's pretty much like the liver manifestation of metabolic disease metabolic syndrome, which is um, kind of one of these like drivers of inflammation, cardiovascular disease and so forth. And so I just kind of got into this like rabbit hole of fatty liver research, non-alcoholic fatty liver research. And I remember seeing this woman who was like in her thirties with like cirrhosis of the liver and and cirrhosis is pretty much that end stage of liver disease, right? Where the liver is kind of like a shriveled up raisin. Um, and pretty much you have like 10 years of life left, they will estimate after that point. And I just thought like, how could you not really know this? And there, that's the crazy thing about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. There really aren't any signs and symptoms beyond like maybe some fatigue, but everybody's like tired or fatigued. Yeah. So how would you know? Right. Um, and so that's how I got into fatty liver disease. And then you look at the research like liver doctors, hepatologists are now saying that in the next 10 to 15 years, fatty liver will be the number one reason for liver transplants, displacing hep C and um, alcoholism. So I think it's an important conversation that we need to have. I do too. That's why I loved your topic, love that we're talking about it, because I don't know if I've ever had an interview on the liver, but I think when mm-hmm. I went to Switzerland, we did a liver gall that are detoxes. I went two different years for like- I love that. Yeah, for a retreat. And they would, the German doctors there were so 
respectful like they would call the liver the queen we need to respect the queen and I was like I know I like <laughs> I love it because honestly almost like Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield it doesn't get much respect right like you don't uh-huh. have symptoms. we just take it for granted and we yeah alcohol and we do talk you know uh-huh, do, uh-huh. Get bad stuff for our gut and our liver is so precious like it, really it is it's our detox organ so we have this like phase one phase two and any toxic right. that we come in contact with again as you well know we have to take through there and eliminate it and it's it's our it's our carpet filters like the filter in our car exactly right so yeah. our blood is going through um the body and next to the gut and getting all the nutrients and all the mm-hmm. toxins and everything and then it goes directly to the liver exactly filters the blood so it's it's just this really really important thing that most people never think about like who thinks about their liver right i, I know it's interesting you know when you talk about the gut liver connection right because when you look at some of the literature some reports will say oh 60 some will say of 75% of the blood going into the liver is coming from the gut, which is just like why, you know, if you have liver issues, you have gut issues as well. And if you have gut issues, you need to also think about liver stress, right? So I just think that, you know, so much in our modern world, we just isolate organ systems and they're all so intimately connected. So could not agree more. Yes, we just get this. And again, that liver gut connection is really critical because often if we want to heal the liver, we need to start with the gut. So um, where would you start with someone who comes in and they've been told by their doctor and they maybe feel okay because they're, except they're a little tired. Right. Um, what would you start with? Would you start with their diet or supplements or things? What would you do for their liver? Yeah. So when I see folks who have fatty liver disease or liver issues, Typically, if it's non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, the best studied interventions at this point are pretty much like weight loss, um, managing blood sugar, insulin resistance, and then dietary modification. So, you know, typically I'll go through the list and just like go through diet diaries and see kind of what they're eating day to day and then kind of start just teasing things out. And it's a lot of education. And as you know, a lot of what we do is just education. Um, And so that's where I typically start. And I try to focus on a weight loss goal of like, seven to 10% of your body weight. Because when you look at the literature, when you lose approximately that amount of weight, the fat in the liver also starts to go away. So you're improving your liver and you don't need to have like repetitive liver scans or like, you know, liver biopsies. We know there's enough literature to say just 7% of your body weight is, en- it's, it's enough to kind of start stimulating those positive changes in the liver. Mm, tremendous. And do you typically have them cut like refined carbs and sugars or anything in particular? Obviously we know yeah. leafy greens and plant-based is, is ideal, mm-hmm, but is there anything mm-hmm. else that you're like, try to, and obviously we know alcohol could be a big, right. what, what kinds of things are you asking them to um, decrease or increase? I, I typically will always ask them about like their sugar intake. It's interesting because a lot of people have different ideas around like sugar juices versus sugar sodas, which is why we're seeing a high amount of fatty liver in pediatric populations too. But I'm not a fan of high fructose corn syrup at all. I think it is the devil. And I talk about this often. And, you know, when you look at high fructose corn syrup and how just it's fractionated compared to say fruit, I mean, sugar in an apple or sugar in fruit, you know, it's just too much fructose. And you have a high amount of receptors on the liver that will uptake that fructose, which is why it's particularly problematic for the liver. So I typically will go through and say, okay, like what's your soda intake? What's your juice intake? Because most of these things are sweetened with high fructose corn syrup. And it's interesting because I had a case a couple months ago of a woman who was diagnosed with fatty liver disease with maybe like stage two fibrosis, the liver starting to scar up. And I go through the diet diary 
And then I go, I say, do you drink any soda? And they're like, no. So then like towards the end, we were talking about something and they're like, yeah, I love ginger ale. I drink like a couple of cans a day, but in their mind, ginger ale wasn't soda. So it's just right. interesting across different cultures, you know what I mean? How different things are not looked at as sodas or juices per se. So I think just collecting a really good history um, is where, where I typically will start. You're so right. Cause I find people are like, Oh, I almost universally, I have a pretty healthy diet. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. Right. Like what does that mean though? Because yeah. you talk about it and you're like, well, I eat greens for, you know, I eat a lettuce at dinner, but then uh-huh. I have chocolate and muffins and ice cream and this, and you know, so like whatever it is, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The refined carbohydrates. So the processed uh, corn and soy and wheat, and then the refined sugars and the sources of fructose really do. We know that fructose drives this process. Um, absolutely. And then gut microbiome, I think has something to do with yes. it. Too. Do you do any testing like stool or organic acids, or do you just talk through Like, what do you do for looking at their gut? Yeah. So I do use stool testing to see what their microbiome looks like in a sense, um, to see kind of if there is anything that we're missing, maybe any like yeast, any, um, parasites, just kind of doing more, a deeper dive. And when you look at like the liver gut connection, you can actually correlate some how dysbiotic somebody's gut is with their kind of risk for fatty liver disease or liver injury. And that's based on this, the LPS molecule, right? So when you have a certain type of bacteria in your gut releases this compound LPS, it's going to go to the liver and it upregulates these liver immune cells, these Kupfer cells in the liver. And it just kind of changes the liver from like immune balance to like now this heightened immune space, which just contributes to more inflammation. So, you know, I will say this, I've not done a single stool test and I've seen thousands and thousands of patients. I've not done a single stool test on someone and not found dysbiosis. Obviously people that are coming to see me are like have health issues. They're not just like, oh yeah, I'm like, we're, I'm, I'm exercising. I'm eating the best. I'm my, my, my lifestyle is this way. Like they're coming to a doctor because they need help. And so you're going to see dysbiosis, but I'm just saying that it's so prevalent yes. um, that at this point for some people, I don't even need to run it. It's like, let's just get you on a gut protocol. Let's just save the money. And we can just put that somewhere else if you need that. But I've not seen a single person without um, some dysbiotic characterization of their gut. Okay. I love that you say that because I couldn't agree more. Years ago, mm-hmm. I would do tests for leaky gut, which is intestinal mm-hmm. hyperpermeability, and it's at the core. So you just mentioned something so key that LPS is the bacterial coating mm-hmm. of certain type of gram negative organisms in the gut. They're not all bad. Like we can right. have normal bacteria, but what happens is when they cross over from that gut lumen, which is mm-hmm. that from mouth to anus and then into the bloodstream, which is one cell layer across, then mm-hmm. that LPS coding is a, is probably one of the most potent inflammatory triggers yep. in the immune system, as again, you mentioned. And we know now that it's a it's literally probably the biggest risk factor for heart disease, yep. for, for diabetes, yep. all exactly. but also mood disorders like sleep, mm-hmm. insomnia and depression and anxiety, and even low testosterone in men. When I looked mm. at the data, on LPS, I was like, wow, this covers so much of the problems, especially in our country. Yeah, it's a big deal. And part of that is that permeability. But back to testing, Mm -hmm. I always said, now I just assume everybody who walks in the office (laughs) is leaky gut, right? And leaky gut is really the reason why the bacterial translocation into the bloodstream and then dumping in the liver and then the fatty Mm -hmm. liver, like that's the pathway, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, so I love that you're kind of the same way in some, I mean, I definitely test too, but there are times when I'm like, we can just assume there's some, yeah, it's like, listen, let's just move beyond that. We know what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then what you can do, do you use herbs like say berberine or other herbs? I love berberine. Oh yeah, I do. So I will do like a antimicrobial approach. I will add prebiotics to support what they have. And then I'll add in different types of probiotics, um, and just kind of go from there. Is there any particular um, uh, kinds of probiotics that you like for the fatty livers? Or I don't know all the literature on that, but is there any particular strains yeah. So I like to use, so I, I love using spore-based um, probiotics, sporebiotics. So I use some of those. Um, I also use, there's like a company that makes a gut liver probiotic now. Oh. Um, yeah, it's a powder. I'm not sure if it's as potent as like the Visbiome VSL powders, um, because those can be really intense, but um, it's a basically like different lactobacillus strains and bifido strains. Um, If you look at the literature, you see a lot of like positive uh, findings for using lacto in the liver and kind of changing the picture around. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And like you said, I love the spores too. I feel like they've been the game changers in the last yes. decade that, um, it's yes. because I had Crohn's about 20 years ago and wow. I knew nothing about strains of probiotics. Uh-huh. I remember when I was really sick, I didn't know what this bacillus coagulans was as a spore, mm-hmm. but, um, I didn't have an education back then. And it was the one that worked the best for me. Wow. I'm like, Oh, no wonder, right. The spores really, right. I know about the research, the spores have not only increased ability to increase diversity in the gut, mm-hmm. but with this LPS thing, this crossover, yep. this, they're one of the best to kind of protect. Yep. So yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, so we talked about diet, talked about interventions. Um, has there been any, um, studies on like activity or, um, oh, yeah. loss? what other things could they do with lifestyle? Yeah. So when you look at activity, the type of activity matters, right? So um, simple like walks are impactful, but kind of sometimes like breaking that up with like higher intensity exercise can also prevent the risk to uh, fibrosis. Mm -hmm. So when you have fatty liver, it's estimated that around 20 to 30% of people who have fatty liver will progress to NASH, which is the inflammatory space. And then of that amount, it's like only a small percent actually ever progressed to like liver cancer. But when you get to the space of inflammation, you're concerned about kind of continual inflammation, scarring, inflammation, scarring. And they, they find that when you have like um, intervals of high intensity exercise, maybe like in t- really intense protocols, you have a reduced risk of like the liver progressing to fibrosis. So the type of exercise also matters um, when it comes to fatty liver disease. It's interesting because they did some studies and they found that they had people doing like cycling, like higher, moderate to high intensity bike cycling. Even though these participants did not lose any weight, the fat in their liver still reduced and they actually reversed their NASH. So they reversed the inflammatory component of the liver and went back to just like the basic fatty liver just by doing exercise, even though they did not actually lose any weight, they didn't shed any pounds on the scale, which I thought was wonderful because sometimes we kind of, you know, are discouraged when we're trying to lose weight and you're not losing weight, but it, it actually does still matter. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's encouraging because some people are kind of feeling stuck and maybe not using yeah. the way they would like, but still that that would um, make such a difference is really, yeah. and you said the high intensity, the interval. So it's like moderate to high intensity exercise. Yeah. Excellent. Any other nutrients or I've read some on tocotrienols, which is a form yeah. of, what else? Do I, I love vitamin E for 
fatty liver. Um, there is a study, they compare vitamin E with pioglitazone, which is a medication that's commonly used for diabetes. And they found that the, in the vitamin E group, the people who took vitamin E, I think it was around like 800 IUs um, daily, they found that they had a slower progression of the inflammatory changes in their liver compared to the group that did the pioglitazone. Neither one of the groups actually, like neither one of the, the therapies actually reduced like the risk of fibrosis, but it actually did reduce inflammation in the liver. The vitamin E did more than the pioglitazone. So I love vitamin E. I love telling people to just kind of increase their nuts and seeds and then kind of add in vitamin E. I love tocotrienols, tocopherols. I love all that. Fantastic. Is there any other nutrients that we haven't talked about that you feel like are real crucial to liver health? Yeah. Zinc is really important for the liver. The liver loves vitamin C. Um, So I usually will kind of, sometimes I'll do this test looking at people's intracellular, extracellular levels of vitamins, minerals, nutrients to kind of see where they're at. Um, And a lot of times you see people are really low in like their, their serum vitamin C is okay, but their white blood cell vitamin C would be really low, which is really, it's, it's not, it's not shocking, but it's really interesting to see that. And it just kind of plays on, you know, conventional blood work. And if it's actually getting to the, the whole right. picture of the person. So when I do that and I'll see like low zinc levels and I'm like, going to say, okay, increase these food um, So I'll do zinc vitamin E, vitamin C, I'll do glutathione. You pretty much find glutathione low across all chronic diseases, right? And you see that in the liver, glutathione is most concentrated in the liver. So it makes sense that when somebody has fatty liver disease, if their liver is in a state of inflammation oxidation, you're going to be burning through that glutathione. So I'll have people do glutathione as well, or like the precursors, NAC, um, or like different amino acids to support that. And then let's see, as far as nutrients, I mean, that's pretty much where I start. Yeah. Perfect. Now oh, that and alpha lipoic okay. acid is amazing, by the uh, way. Alpha lipoic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's great for the liver. Yeah. So you mentioned like my favorites with the glutathione, NAC, alpha yeah. lipoic acid, and then milk thistle. I'm sure you use yep, it. Yep. Right? Yep. Do you prefer a supplement or a tea or how do you like to use the milk thistle? Okay. I prefer a supplement. I find that the, like the component you're looking for in milk thistle that's been studied for liver disease, you can't really extract it that well with tea unless it's like really, really hot. And then you, you know, so I will typically do um, like just capsule formulations for that. Um, And then I love like one of my favorite herbs to use for all things liver metabolic disease is gynostemma, pentophyllum. It's a Vietnamese herb, but it's interesting because you have animal models and human models. And this one human model, they took these like treatment naive, like diabetics. And they gave one group green tea and they gave another group the gynostema plant. They had them drink like six grams a day for like 12 weeks. And they measured their A1C scores. After 12 weeks of drinking the gynostema versus the green tea, the group that drank the gynostema had a two point reduction in their A1C score. The gynostema also reduces fat in the liver. This is an animal model. They found the liver weight of the animals after the study was significantly reduced and they knew it was fat that was going away. So I love that one. It's a really, really safe botanical. So I'll have them drink that. They can eat it. Um, they can get it in capsules, but in the studies, it was just study as like a water extract. So a tea. So. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Great um, information. Just super. Yeah. 
Um, so diet, and then let's before we before we let you go, you talked about your expertise in mind body and all these yeah. areas, and I think that crosses any area. That's yeah. right, definitely the liver, but all areas. What? Um, how do you implement those kinds of mind body things? Maybe mm-hmm. hypnosis. Do you do hypnosis in the office as well, or what else do you do? Yeah, I love mind body because when you think about chronic disease in America, it all, in my opinion, it starts in the mind. And there's so many subtle suggestions around us. And, you know, you see these big billboards for like new nacho fries at Taco Bell. And then the next week you're eating nacho fries. You don't know where that came from. You know, it was a suggestion from a week ago from a billboard that you saw. So I'm really big on kind of mind body, just because it all starts as a thought. And so I will do hypnotherapy in office. I'll record hypnosis hypnosis scripts customized for people and just have them like play them over every night they're like 15 10 minutes long um i'll just do like muscle relaxation just kind of going through and verbalizing Mm -hmm. essentially just giving some more suggestions to the body for how to relax itself so yeah tremendous and so powerful because we know this and we talk about it's a whole new conversation but sympathetic parasympathetic or fight or flight parasympathetic is rest relax digest and so Mm -hmm. this especially gut liver we need that parasympathetic but most of us are going around with 90 percent of our time in the sympathetic go 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 flight so we really this is great do you have any practical so say they couldn't get your recordings or any of that do you have any practical ways that someone could implement those things themselves like before bed or what could yeah Literally, I will tell folks, all you need to do is just like take out the recording app on your phone and just record affirmations to yourself and kind of make it into a longer script. And you can just anything that's positive, anything you want to accomplish, like say that to yourself and just play it in the morning, play it before you go to bed. I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, I'm going to make healthier choices and this looks like X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go to the park. And when I, you know, my ideal goal is to be to look this way or to you know be able to walk with my kids or so forth so just kind of saying those things it's interesting how we can rewire our brain with just suggestions like verbal suggestions so yeah Oh, I love that. So I remember, I don't know, five, six years ago, I was like, I want to start to change this. And I started going on a walk and I would every day be like every day and every way I'm stronger and healthier, wealthier. I love that every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like I would literally say this every single day and this little thing and, um, and it, everything started to, it really does work. I mean, it just, and you can pick anything, it's just repetition. And what happens is your subconscious doesn't have the filter that our analytical mind does, right? You know this. So if you're in the subconscious, it'll just take, it'll be like, (laughs) I believe this. So let's go. Yes. I love that. The mind works that way. It's so simple. We honestly, I think humans think we're so deep and complex yeah. and we're really not. Like, no. well, again, you know, this well, the subconscious is like, it'll just play it out. Just exactly. Like script. So, yeah. um, well, Dr. Asia Mohammed, it is a pleasure. Like before, when hey. you, I love your um, joy and vibrancy. I love what you're doing there in St. Louis near my hometown. And um, <laughs> thank you so much today for coming on. Um, where can people find you if they want to know more about what you do or if they're near St. Louis? Yeah, totally. So um, pretty much my website is the best way to find me. It's just asiamohammed.com. You can reach out there and contact me. Um, I'll be in a brick and mortar space this um, this month, actually. So kind of post-pandemic, getting back to seeing people in person. So I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I just offer like online, like educational type webinars and events. But yeah. Perfect. We will link up or wherever you're watching this, you'll be able to find her um, website and links. And thank you again for taking the time yeah. to, talk to people, talk about the liver uh, with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. You're welcome.